Hey there, everybody. It's Russ, and welcome to the podcast version of PLP Talks, which is listener-supported by you guys. For more information about how to support this podcast, be sure to check the show notes. So in this episode, we're going to talk with Kurt Russ-Snyder, a professor and also a well-known bikepacker and founder of bikepackingroots.org. We're going to talk about his bikepacking and geology class, as well as what he thinks makes a great route, and also learn a little bit more about the mission of bikepackingroots.org. So sit back, kick your feet up, and enjoy the show. Hey there, Kurt. Hey, how's it going, Russ? Well, thanks for uh, joining us today, uh, mixing it up on our YouTube channel here. Uh, yeah, my pleasure. Thanks for the invitation. Yeah. So I really want to kick things off and talk about your bikepacking and geology class. Uh, it looked like there was a, a cool write-up recently on the Radivis. Can you tell us um, how many students take that class and like what's the format? Yeah, so that, um, that write-up was from a student named Locke Hassett, who is a pretty experienced bikepacker already coming into the class. And he ended up being a, a teaching assistant for, for us in that class. And we have, we being myself and Caitlin Boyle, who was the kind of co-developer and my co-instructor for that class, um, all three times that we've taught it now. And we've had every time now, I guess, eight or nine students that take it. So it's a fairly small group. But as soon as you get eight or nine students and another two instructors on bikes, that's a pretty big <laughs> group of bikes and a pretty big number of things to go wrong and a big group to manage uh, with different speeds of riders and everything. Um, so that's that's turned out to be a pretty pretty reasonable number for, right. for doing something like this. So like the, the people that take it, what are their um, what's their like level of ability and skill in terms of bikepacking? Are they all fairly new? Or are they fairly experienced? Or what's what's a gamut? So coming into the class, um, the almost none of them that we've none of the students we've had have bike packed before, and the the exception to that are usually a couple students that have uh, been teaching assistants for us, um, including two of the three teaching assistants we've had on that the bike packing side have ridden the Great Divide mountain bike route, so cool. very experienced in that right. that fact, um, and the other students um, pretty much all have had a, a decent amount of mountain bike background. So we need riders that have a bit of technical skill already, but they don't need to be incredibly competent technical riders. Right. Um, we do a mix of dirt road and single track in that. Um, so the, the we need riders that that can manage, you know, 25, 30 miles on, on some trail um, throughout a day, but they don't need to be, you know, super strong athletes or anything like that. We want it to be fairly open to, to folks who already are cyclists. Right. Does a does a class fill up pretty quickly? I imagine it must. It looks like a super fun fun way to learn. <laughs> it does. Yeah, yeah. There's always a lot of enthusiasm. We don't quite have enough um, interest. Prescott College is really small. We've got about 275 students on campus in the undergraduate program, and so we we run the course every other year um, in order to to just have enough students with the cycling background and the desire to do multi day trips like that um, with that academic. Um, curriculum in, in conjunction with it. And the the general format has been, um, you know, a few days on campus. And then we have uh, basically three weeks, three and a half weeks to work with. Um, the course is four weeks long, and that's all the students take during that little block of time. Oh, that's cool. Um, and so <laughs> um, over the years, we've done either three or I guess four or five multi-day trips. Um, 
up on in the Colorado Plateau region and really focus on studying the the geologic history of the Colorado Plateau region um, along each of those trips. And so they're sort of structured that generally each trip we get up into younger and younger parts of the rock sequence and mm -hmm. more recent parts of the story. Mm -hmm. And we have a van and big trailer that that we get from one place to the next for those trips. And the trips gradually get longer, um, starting out with usually like a two night, um, three day trip and then progressing up to a, like a five day length trip for the, the final one. Yeah. So, so it's a, so what, what, is, what does homework and the final look like for this class? <laughs> yeah, so, it, so that's been something that's kind of evolved and trying to figure out the best way to incorporate um, the, the kind of academic rigor in it in conjunction with the physical rigor and the, the general exhaustion that, that goes along with bikepacking, even when you keep the days fairly mellow. Um, it's just a, a tiring activity yeah. for, for anyone, especially newer bikepackers. And so the the academic side of it is split between um, a geology curriculum and an adventure education curriculum that Caitlin leads, which is a combination of, kind of leadership skills specific to managing groups on bikes and route planning and learning how to deal with all the logistics and figuring out, um, you know, what do we need to actually take for food? What do we need to take for water? What are the risks that we're going to be potentially facing on this? How do we set ourselves up to be most successful on a trip like that? So mm -hmm. one of the goals is to be able to send um, riders out of this class with uh, enough competence in it that they could potentially lead other groups um, of students do, or of, of individuals doing the same thing. Right. And so, so it's actually, it's a tremendous amount of material that we try to cram in there. Um, and so on the mentor education side of it, um, there is a fair bit of getting students in leadership roles and having them um, plan routes uh, on this this course. The, the final trip was back here in Prescott with the students planning and executing their own um, trip. So figuring out all, all the logistics for it and using a scenario basically like you're going to be taking out a group of high school mountain bikers that are doing their first bikepacking adventure one night. What do we need to do to make it successful and have them have a great time mm -hmm. and um, all of that. Um, and so, so that, that was um, a, a new way of trying to really facilitate that development of the students' skills um, this time in, in the leadership realm. On the geology side of things, it's a big mix of first they need to just get a handle on what is the general geology of the region and learn some of those principles, um, basic geology, and then building from there with a um, range of presentations and having them kind of develop uh, a chart with the stratigraphy of each region, the layers of rocks and the stories that each rock tells and what, how it fits together um, with the layers that we then see in another place um, on the trip to get a bigger spatial view of just what was the region like at this time, describe the landscape mm -hmm. um, at that and understand why it was evolving in the way it does. Um, and so there's a lot of that kind of building awareness of the different dimensions in terms of vertical and space and time that mm -hmm. geology is exposed in um, on and on all the rocks in the plateau. Um, so that's that's a lot of what we go into. There's no final exam for it. <laughs> By the end of the class, uh, they're pretty exhausted from everything, and so they've right. got a big folder that they put together that shows everything that they've done and learned along the way, and that's that's yep. usually a big part of their final assessment. Cool. So one last question about the class was it a hard concept to pitch to the college where they like, you're going to do what with our students? No, no, it was. <laughs> and that's one of the really cool things about Prescott college and teaching here 
I actually um, pitched the idea when I was interviewing for this job six years ago. Okay. And um, there already was a class that was begun by the, the by my predecessor here, the other um, the former geologist that was called rock climbing and geology. <laughs> he was an incredibly skilled climber and had written guides for all over the Southwest. And so he had taught that course for, I don't know, 15 years or something like that after he developed it. And um, he's like, oh, you should, you know, combine your passion with your teaching and figure out a way to do it because that's what this, when the students are going to gain so much more. And so I pitched that idea in my interview and they're like, whoa, you could do that. <laughs> and so then after I got here, it's like, okay, this is actually really, you know, they want me to do this, but, um, getting someone like Caitlin on board that has the, the background in such immersive field teaching and, and bringing, um, bringing an academic curriculum into the field in that setting was critical in, in putting together a really solid plan for a course that the students are going to get a lot more out of than just learning how to ride their bike in amazing places. Right. So yeah, it, we have a, we have a lot of immersive classes like that, that are even, um, like full semester long field courses that oh, wow. are gone for most of the time. And so, yeah, the school, if, if it's a, a good idea, the school will completely support it. All right. Cool. That's awesome. I love the whole idea of, um, you know, taking a bike trip, but layering, layering it with some other kind of thing, either cultural or, yep. you know, geological, um, just so that, you know, it really sinks you into the, the environment and, and you learn something from the trip. <laughs> oh, exactly. Yeah. And it connects you to where you are. So in, so, in a, a so much more impactful way than just riding through a place, but not knowing anything about it. Right. Yeah. As soon as you start to learn more about any of those layers, of the landscape, you become so much more connected to that place. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's kind of like, um, like I've gotten into fishing a lot and before I got into mm -hmm. fishing, I just look at water and go, Oh, there's a pretty river. But now every time I pedal by a river, I'm like, ah, oh, there'd be a fish there. That's a good riffle. Or, you know, is that, does that pool deep enough to hold fish or, you know, mm -hmm. so just all those layers <laughs> of knowledge really kind of affect your experience when you're on the bike. Um, yeah. So I yep. think this is a great segue into bike packing routes. So tell us a little bit about uh, why it started and let's talk about the, the new route you guys uh, released. So what was the yeah. impetus between uh, or behind Bikepacking Roots? Yeah, so so Bikepacking Roots was, I guess it's been sort of in the works for two over two years now. Um, and it, it started off as a, a vision that um, Caitlin and I were kind of just brainstorming about while we were bikepacking in... I think South America doing a month long trip through Patagonia, um, chasing as much rugged trail as we could and facing the, the challenges of, you know, we'd put to get put in a ton of time planning this trip and finding all these trails that we didn't know anything about. We're kind of skeptical if they were actually going to be there on the ground, <laughs> not there, what the, you know, if they actually linked through. And so it was one of those things that that kind of adventure is fantastic. Like I love it. Um, getting into a completely new place, learning about it, and seeing trails that you've never been on, but the element of the planning that goes into that and the uncertainty is mm -hmm. something that is kind of prohibitive. Like a lot of people either don't have the time to do that or the background to do it, or they just don't have the desire to go um, kind of in one of these unfamiliar places uh, and, and just see how things go. And the, at that point, the, there was kind of a paucity of 
bikepacking routes that have been developed in different regions of the U.S. that have a lot of really good planning um, information to allow people to just jump into these trips and know exactly what they're getting into and um, feel comfortable that that their their skills and their background are are going to allow them to to really have a great time on on that route. And they're also um, you know, there's a bunch of self-created routes that are popping up on on great sites like bikepacking.com and things like that. And some of the routes are phenomenal. And some of the routes, you don't quite know what you're going to get. And there's not a lot of upkeep of them. You know, people submit them and then there's no one looking after them, making sure that, you know, as things mm-hmm. change on the ground, that the route evolves through time. And so our goal was initially we were thinking, you know, let's let's figure out a way to start developing some longer distance dirt routes. Some of them are very single track focused. Some of them are very dirt road focused and make them kind of consistent, have a really solid vision for what that sort of route will provide in terms of an experience and try to use that as a way to get more people out um, bikepacking and not feel like they're getting in over their head necessarily with the the route that they're going to take. And we also wanted to try to start targeting some some regions of, of the U.S. at least to start that don't have many long bikepacking routes because there definitely are some some mm-hmm. of those out there. So that was kind of the initial vision. And then as as that um, progressed, we started thinking a lot more about what you and I were just talking about with how do you how do you really connect people to landscapes and make those experiences even more um, impactful for folks and coming up with a way of actually really educating folks about the um, the landscapes through the, which they're riding, whether that's the, the geology of the places or different stories about the natural history of those areas or the, the people history of those areas and conservation issues in those areas. And so that, that kind of educational side that um, uh, Caitlin, who's our, our conservation education coordinator um, and who's kind of a, a co-founder for the organization with, with just brainstorming all these ideas and figuring out a vision for it, um, both of us bringing in our, our educational backgrounds um, mm-hmm. to it and then bringing in this vision for, okay, we also like bikepackers have unique needs in terms of the places and like the, um, the desire for these experiences in, in large landscapes where you are, you know, pedaling for days on end through not necessarily wilderness, but through wild places mm-hmm. and we need these kind of large tracts of public lands to do that, at least if you're trying to stray off off just pavement and dirt roads and get on on trails and into the backcountry. Mm-hmm. And so there's an element of also um, kind of educating people about the need for conserving these landscapes and for, in today's political um, realm, the public lands issue and the role that public lands play in what we love doing. And so there's an advocacy side that's been growing um, that's focused on those issues that, that we're getting into as well. So it's kind of a, a very multi-pronged uh, mission that that we started off with. Right. And so the, the redevelopment side, the advocacy side, and the, the kind of environmental education side of it. And we've been, been pushing after all of those this year since uh, we launched publicly in May. Um, so it hasn't been that long, but we've released Three three new routes, um, all in the the western part of the U.S. Colorado, uh, a 1,200 mile route, very adventure route across Utah into Colorado, and a small uh, like a 200 mile one in northern Arizona that expands on the popular Coconino Loop that's been been around for quite a while, mm-hmm. um, getting in some remote country in the San Francisco volcanic field. So really cool um, area so, there. So when you guys uh, so, when you guys create a route, is there like 
what's the criteria? Is there a minimum level of service uh, on the roots or because I feel like some people like you were saying will publish, you know, self-created roots, but sometimes they feel more like rides rather than kind of like a repeatable route that other people could do that would be like sustainable, yes. you know, respectful of the environment and you know, people that live there. Yep. So. Yep, exactly. So that's that's a big part of the the very intentional approach we take to route development. So it is much more than we go out and, you know, spend four days bikepacking somewhere right. and call that a great route. Maybe it is a great route. Maybe we would have put a ton of planning into it right. and turned out um, to be phenomenal. But um, for example, this this route, the Wild West route, um, that's a new one that, that we've pretty much completed all the reconnaissance of and are going to be releasing in about a year's time with maps and everything. Um, that one is a dirt road, four by four road oriented route that starts at the Mexican border in Southern Arizona, traverses up through Arizona, Utah, and Idaho huge swath of Idaho and then just a little corner of Montana. And it's designed to have a, um, a, a wild riding experience. So in some of the big wild places in the West mm -hmm. while making it mostly non-technical. So there's almost no single track on it. There's some rugged Jeep roads in places, but we want it to be more of a, a kind of, uh, faster, mellower, um, riding surface than than a single track route so making sure that the the route is like the different sections of it are consistent with that experience and have minimal really rugged hike a bike type sections there'll be a few in there but only mm -hmm. where like there's no other option and then thinking about um, water availability and resupply options and things like that that's critical that we don't want, you know, like some, some routes like the, the 1200 mile route we have across the Colorado plateau called the plateau passage. Mm -hmm. That one is very much an adventure route and is designed to get people way out there. Right. And some people want that. It's not one for beginners. Um, that's for, for advanced bike packers. And, you know, you may have four or five days in between resupply, mm -hmm. um, locations and the wild west route trying to keep things much closer that the biggest distances are going to be, you know, two and a half days or something between resupplies and popping into small towns for resupply options and then getting right back out there uh, mm -hmm. whenever possible. And a lot of the reconnaissance in, at least in Arizona and Utah, was much more than just like, is this the best way to go? But okay, there's water here and there's water there. And this is a long way in between. So <laughs> are there actually water sources here that might be reliable right. that we can put the route through? So, um, so there was a lot on the ground um, looking at different options for that sort of consideration. And then also just the flow of the route. And, you know, there, if you look at a map of, say, Idaho, there are a bunch of ways to connect two places together, going shortest way around following valleys, going over big passes and trying to develop a route that has the best flow in between these different areas. So you don't want to have like really rugged mountain section, really rugged mountain section after another right. when there's a nice mellow valley over here with a dirt road that runs up, but that you could hop over to that, have some hard riding here for a little while, and then a couple mellow days or something like that over in this area before diving back into the mountains. And so really thinking about how it's going to feel riding it for not just me or somebody else who's been bikepacking for a long time, but somebody who maybe this is their first really long trip, excuse me, and, um, you know, 2,500, 3,000 mile route can't just be right. rugged and ending <laughs> the whole time. Even if when you're scouting it just piece at a time, it's like, well, these are awesome mountains. I love how many mountains there are on this route. When you put it all together, that might not actually feel great for most folks. So, so. in terms of like recreation, how, does, how do you guys even begin? Is it mostly 
looking at maps first, and then do you how do you how do you ground truth uh, the route it's, in the process? So it's it starts off with concept more okay. than anything. Like, okay, what about a route that does this or is in this place? Or looking at a map of the country and thinking, okay, well. Um, like we've got another project in the Midwest right now that'll be getting off the ground this next year that's up in northern Minnesota, northern Wisconsin, northern Michigan, which is a region that um, has tons of riding potential, amazing single track networks in a few different places with hundreds of miles of trail each. And thinking about, okay, what if, you know, what if there was a route that was single track oriented through all these little communities and helped um, connect all of those together and put together, you know, a 800 mile route or something like that mm -hmm. with single track connection emphasis right. or with the wild west route it was thinking okay there like this part of the country is absolutely amazing the public lands issue is something that we really want to highlight what could we do to put together a route that does that and um what why do you think kind of, why do you think starting with a concept is important I think that's what what provides the vision for a route and provides kind of the goals for it. So it's not like, um, you know, our goal is to just develop a route in any specific place necessarily. It's to provide a certain kind of experience mm -hmm. for folks. And we do want to make sure that those experiences are available for people that live in different regions, regions of the country. But um, like I could think of a tremendous number of routes that I could put together that start right from my house here in the mountains right above Prescott, Arizona. Um, but what's the experience of that going to be? Is it something that we can tie in with um, any kind of educational message or conservation mes message or advocacy message or something like that? And so I think a lot of it comes from what what do we want people to potentially be getting out of this? And a little bit of it is the opposite. What do we think people might want to be getting out of roots? And so we've done a bit of surveying of folks trying to understand more about what they're looking for and what kind of experiences. And it's all over the map, but right. there are definitely some trends that we've seen. So um, so it, it really, I think for us, that that initial vision um, is and the concept is really important to, to as a, a starting point. Right. <laughs> Do you think there um, do you think there are some routes that shouldn't be published? <laughs> That's a tough question. I I think I mean from from a, a standpoint of you know if an individual makes route and puts it out there, I think as long as it's really clear what what riders are getting into if they're going to go out there. So mm -hmm. if I, I don't I don't think anyone is ever intentionally misleading about what a route is going to be like for somebody else. But I think there are a lot of people that their awareness of what their experience is like compared to what somebody else might have, what kind of experience somebody else might have when they get out in that same area could be very different. And so um, that's something that I think for, for me has that awareness has really evolved through teaching the, the bike packing class yeah. and just seeing firsthand, what is it like when you get um, first time bike packers out in a place like X or Y or Z. Um, and then there are definitely some routes that have been published that I've seen that um, either go on private land without permission or through areas where bikes aren't supposed to go on public lands, um, things like that. And so that's that's a huge, uh, huge problem that, that I see. Like we, we spend a lot of time trying to make sure that everything that we're doing is absolutely legal, which sometimes gets really frustrating trying to do with land managers that, you know, there's this section of road that is closed in the spring to not, for example, up in, in um, Utah, I'm working on an issue that it's closed to um, 
wheeled vehicles, basically. <laughs> and yeah. the first person I talked to said, no, it's, it's just non-motorized. And then the next, the district ranger was like, no, it's actually non-motorized. We are any wheeled vehicle, non-motorized or not. Wow. And I asked him why. He's like, I don't actually know. <laughs> so things like that. And, you know, I've had the other, um, the other end of the spectrum that down in southern Arizona on the Wild West route, there's a section of BLM land. Um, it's a national conservation area. They've been working on a long distance trail through it, which is a very remote feeling trail. And the northern part of it hasn't been finished. And I was working with a, a BLM official down there trying to figure out, okay, you're yeah, not done with this. They have no plans to actually finish it in the near future because it involves a bridge that they don't have money to build. And so he was very helpful in trying to figure out how can we actually get around that? How can we make use of state land nearby? Mm -hmm. There's an old railroad easement that he looked into that we actually can't use, um, even though it sees plenty of, of public use. It's private, technically. So he right. was very helpful in that and and found found some connections for us to use. So it's all across the spectrum. But it really, I think some of those links take a fair bit of homework to make sure that where you're sending people is mm -hmm. legit. That's, right. that's, that's important. Yeah. So, um, I've got two more questions. How do you, how do you kind of imbue the, the spirit of conservation and being a, a good steward to the land, uh, in a route or how do you, how do you see spreading that message to the bikepacking community at, at large? Yeah. It, it comes back to that, helping people connect to the landscape. Mm -hmm. And if, you know, if you if you say you're going to ride across a state um, with a lot of public lands and don't know anything about where you are, never been there before, ride the whole route, love the scenery, love the experience, but you don't learn anything along the way. You don't really develop much of a connection to that place and you don't learn anything about, you know, why those lands are there, why they're open to the public, anything like that. Mm -hmm. And conversely, if you take a group of folks and um, thinking about like a, a group of students, for example, into a place and have them start exploring the history of it and exploring, you know, how did this national forest actually form? What's, what's the story there? Mm -hmm. And why did this area end up getting conserved over here? What were the issues who actually stood up to, to make that happen and why would their passion for it come from and learn a little bit about what's unique about the, the environment there, whether it's the geology or the ecology or any of that, suddenly then there's this connection that forms between the rider and the place they're in. Mm -hmm. And that right there uh, makes the, generally makes people much more concerned about making sure that place exists in the future for other mm -hmm. people to enjoy and, and gets conserved. And there's, there's a whole bunch of um, evidence in, in the literature and in studies that, that very clearly show that that connection to place, that sense of place mm -hmm. Instills a conservation ethic in folks. Yeah, there's and that saying: if if you know it, you love it, and if you love it, you protect it. <laughs> exactly. So that's that's what we're going for, and it definitely takes a fair bit of time. Like it's easy. I shouldn't say easy. It's fairly straightforward to put together a, a, a really nice bike packing or get all the reconnaissance done. Put together some resources for it so people know what they're getting into. But then taking it to that next level and providing all this other um, educational material that can help people make that connection, that takes a fair bit of extra time and research, especially in places with which you might not be familiar as a root developer. So, yeah. so you've got a fair bit of energy going into that. And um, yeah. it's, it definitely takes time, but it's something that we all feel is really an important part of our mission. So cool. we're going to keep doing that. And hopefully those resources are just going to get better and better with each, each new route we develop. Yeah. Cool. So we've got a little bit more time. Um, I want to kind of pivot to trends. 
And uh, one of the things I've um, that I see, I don't know if this, if you, if you agree, but uh, root developers put in a lot of resources in creating a root. And for the most part, um, the availability of the root has been free. And mm-hmm. there's never been the issue of like, should root developers charge for the finished product? Should they be compensated? I mean, to me, it, it doesn't seem sustainable to have like quality roots and not have you know, the, the people developing the roots, you know, make a living or at least like pay for the root development. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it takes a lot of time to do that. And there is there are quite a few amazing routes that have been put together by people purely out of passion, that they love this place. They want a route that goes from here to here, whatever their their motivation may be. Um, and what usually happens is what I've seen is that route gets developed. People start riding it. But then whoever created it moves on to other passion projects, which is great. That's usually the type of person that it is, that they just are incredibly passionate about whatever they're currently working on. Mm-hmm. And the resources for those routes maybe don't get updated or um, things like that. And I think that that is a big problem because conditions on the ground really do change tremendously. Um, and so routes need to evolve. Resources need to evolve. And... Um, I think that these. So, so maybe know, think, so maybe it's kind of an evolution of just a one uh, one hit wonder to kind of institutionalizing some things about the root. So there's kind of constant updates mm-hmm. um, and just yeah. Sure and somebody the somebody needs to be looking after and coordinating all those those updates. And right. like if you're putting out um, a guide to to a route where there's you know water sources or stores that may continue to be open or closed like those are important things that people rely on and definitely need some oversight mm-hmm. to it um and i think the getting back to what you're talking about the the resources that go into it um there are quite a few relatively short routes that that get developed by individuals that are great that they can you know just from wherever they live they can pretty easily scout and put things together in this places that they're familiar with already so they already know the best ways through but longer distance routes um, mm-hmm. that are on the order of a few hundred miles or 500 miles or more which are the ones that really provide these huge experiences for folks um up all the way up to like expedition scale experiences those um are things that individuals just generally don't have the resources or the time to to develop and so so that's where we're putting a lot of energy are these really these these longer ones and trying to coordinate with some of our regional advisors in different different parts of the country that can really provide their input in the areas that they know well and make each section of the route um, as good as possible from from local knowledge. So I think it's it, it is a big question of scale and right. resources needed mm-hmm. for a small route and even upkeep for a small route. Pretty reasonable, but once you get to something fairly substantial, right. it's it's a lot for individuals to to maintain for any length of time. So I think in that sense, moving um, having having an organization like Bikepacking Routes that focuses on creating these long dirt routes and then maintaining them down the road is is mm-hmm. something that the community really needed. And that's the reception we've had since we launched in, in May has been hugely positive um, in that sense. So I think people people definitely um, agree that that's, that's beneficial for the community in a pretty big way. Cool. Um, let's talk really quickly um, about do you, where do you see bikepacking going? Are there any future trends? And uh, lastly, how, how do people interact or support bikepacking routes? Good questions. Um, I think in the, it's the, the growth that we've seen in bikepacking is over the last five years has been massive. 
And it's phenomenal to see. I love it. Um, and I think that's going to continue as, as more people figure out where to go ride. Like that's been from some of the clinics and things that I've done over the years. That's become the, the biggest question. Like, okay, I've got the gear. I think I know what I'm doing. I've done a quick overnighter. Now where do I go? Yeah. And I've, and I've, I've kind of heard whether it's, yeah, whether it's root development or just publicizing um, routes that are out there already, things like that. Um, so I think the, the growth is just going to continue. I think more and more um, kind of traditional road tours are finding their way into the dirt realm and mm-hmm. especially just on, on dirt road routes. And so I think it's really important to keep developing dirt and gravel oriented routes for those people because there, there definitely are fewer riders that are wanting to, to tour on roadways, on uh, paved roads right. these days. Um, so supporting that is going to be important. And, and I think that trend will continue. Uh, and then I think one of the big challenges that, that we face as a community is really supporting women in bikepacking and trying to encourage more women to do that because looking at the, the membership that Bikepacking Roots has and the kind of responses to surveys and everything we get, it's so hugely um, tilted toward uh, male riders. And mm-hmm. I think there's a number of number of reasons for that. And I think we can we can all do a lot to help get more women um, excited about multi-day trips and out there doing that. And so I'm hoping that that'll be a trend that we see right. is kind of leveling out um, that uh, that difference. Mm-hmm. And then. Um, I think we're going to continue to see more and more expansion of bikepacking visibility into the mainstream, into mainstream media and into mm-hmm. um, mainstream outdoor industry. And uh, I think that's just going to help all of this continue to grow. So right. I think at least for the, the short term, right. uh, we're going to see more of the same. Long term, harder to say. I mean, all of these sports <laughs> there uh, reach a peak at some point and, and kind of level off. And I'm yeah. sure that we'll get there at some point. But yeah. Uh, no, no sight of that right. yet. Cool. So and how- then as far as supporting bikepacking routes, um, you can go to bikepackingroutes.org and donate to support us. Um, uh, our, our resources this year have gone predominantly to route development advocacy and conservation education. Um, and so at this point, we're still all volunteer organization. And so are putting, putting our money into accomplishing our mission. And we'll be having a fundraiser starting in about a week or so for, for about a week. And we'll be releasing our T-shirts and hats and some of that stuff so you can represent and spread the word. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we've got a crew of folks uh, that are going to be helping pioneer the Wild West route next summer. Um, there will be probably about 30 of them. We've got some constraints from the, the Navajo Nation um, where the route traverses next year that they want a, a small number of riders the first time through just to make sure no unexpected issues arise. But right. um, we're working on finalizing who all of those regional or all of those pioneers are going to be. And mm-hmm. so if folks are interested in being part of that and helping us with some of the kind of the final uh, route development um process for that route um they can reach out through our website and and let us know um and uh i think that's about it if folks want to get involved we're we're always looking for for ways that that individuals can help so right can reach out to us also so i'm going to wrap up the video here and if you guys want to check out bikepacking roots and help support uh the organization i'm going to put all those links in the description Uh, Be sure to check it out. And if you guys have suggestions for other people that we should interview on the channel, leave those in the comments below. And if you like the video, subscribe, and uh, we'll see you next time. 
Thanks, Kurt. <laughs> Thank you, Russ. So thanks again for listening and be sure to subscribe so you're always up to date with the latest PLP talks.